Well, as you can see from the screen, we're continuing as a church to go through the letter in the New Testament that we call 1 Corinthians. If you remember, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in ancient Corinth. Paul was the founding pastor there, and as he moved on, then things got off track, and they are now a dumpster fire. One of the things we'll see, one of the ways in which they are a dumpster fire is this, that they were dissing the founding pastor. You add to that questioning his authority and therefore a dumpster fire. Why are you not writing this down? This is the most important slide I've ever put before you people, okay? If you don't get the joke, I'm the founding pastor here, right? So that, that's, and listen, when a slide hits you people, I know because you pull out your phones and you, nobody's doing that right now. <laughs> Ticks me off, oh well. So here's the thing. <clears throat> so they are dissing them. Primarily, one of the things that's going on is basically they want Paul to be a mercenary. Uh, but Paul insists on being a missionary, not a mercenary. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about this morning. Now let's think about those two terms for a second. What's the difference between them? Because sometimes they'll do the exact same job. They'll play the same role, the same work. But they do it from two entirely different motivations. They do it for different reasons. If you think about a mercenary, a mercenary doesn't really care about the issue doesn't care about the goal or the war or the outcome, about the city, the state, the country. No, there's no care there. The issue is, as long as I get my money, as long as I get my money, they don't care about the mission. Okay? Now, by contrast, the missionaries, I mean, you see mission is right in the term, right? They care about that. They don't care about money. They don't care about glory. They don't care about what they're owed. It is the issue or the goal. They are invested in the outcome, not the income. So they sacrifice for the mission. They're missionaries. Okay, this, this is important because the church in Corinth had become quite enamored with some mercenaries, you see, there were these itinerant orators. What that means is they were guys that went from town to town, and it was kind of like they would do like a TED Talk, but in the town center, and it would be on politics or religion or philosophy, and they would just stun the crowd with their ability to oratory, to, to speak publicly. And the crowd would then give them lots of money. They made bank at, off of this. In fact, that's how you could tell the good ones. They would have like fly sandals, right? Or they would have a pimp and chariot or an entourage, whatever. Like you could tell they made a lot of money. So now you know, ooh, that guy must be really, really good. They're mercenaries. Because they didn't care about the topic that they were... T- like sometimes what they would do to impress the crowd, they would speak on one side of the issue, stop, flip over, and totally convince you the other way on the topic. They didn't care about the topic, and you'd go, wow, he's really, really good, and we'd pay more money. They were mercenaries. They didn't care about the issue or the goal at hand. They cared about money, glory, and what they were owed. But Paul would be very different from them. Paul was a missionary. And he didn't care about money. And he didn't care about glory. And he didn't care about what he was owed. He cared about the issue. And for Paul, the issue was the gospel. Jesus, his Lord, 
building the church of God. And so he wanted to be very distinct from those mercenaries. And therefore, Paul was a tent maker. He did it at sacrifice. So what that means when we say Paul is a tent maker is that he literally made tents. So this was his day job so that he would earn some money so he could eat. He didn't get any money from the TED Talks in the town square, from the church or whatever. He supported himself. Or sometimes other churches from afar would send a gift so that Paul could be supported. But not the church in Corinth. And so they're looking at Paul and going, wow, I I guess he must not be very good. He does those talks in the town square, but he does them for free. And he doesn't have nice sandals and a nice chariot and an entourage. He must not be very good. Now, of course, this is a little reversed from the situation we experience today. In today's culture, we have uh, a different problem. We have preachers and sneakers. You familiar with this? It started, I think, as an Instagram account. What happened is they started to notice that all these famous preachers, all these celebrity preachers were going out on stage in sneakers. These are chucks, right? Uh, They went out on, on stage in these sneakers that were like thousands of dollars, And they lived in mansions. And some have private jets. And so in today's culture, we get more nervous when a pastor makes too much. And I I think we should. But that wasn't the deal back then. Back then they were suspicious when a pastor made too little. Because you get what you pay for, right? So he just must not be very good. And in Corinth, they were liking mercenaries. But Paul's a missionary. And he's doing it for free. And so they start thinking, you know what? He must not be that good of a, of a minister, of a pastor, of a preacher. He must, they start doubting his apostleship, and then we're right back to this. And again, nobody's taking out their phone, so I'm ticked again, but there it is. So what happened is, Paul starts to tell them this right here, that they are slinkies. Maybe you've seen this meme, I love this. Some people are like slinkies, not really good for much but bring a smile to your face when you push them down the stairs. Okay, seriously, now you're getting out on your phone? (laughs) You people stink. Oh, well. All right, so I I, I don't think Paul actually wanted to say that. I think I'm projecting onto Paul. That's not... So, Ashley, we're now going to move into the holy, eternal word of God. And here's what Paul actually had to say, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. He said, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship. I don't don't want to burn too much time here, but he's right off the rip. He's spitting three quick points, and, and you'll see them here. So number one, he says he is free. That doesn't mean he's preaching for free. What that means is his apostleship will be judged by God, not by Corinth. He's free of their opinion. And he's living for an audience of one. He's living free. And then secondly, you see there, he says, I've seen the risen Jesus. Now that's really important. The reason why is one of the requirements to be an apostle is that you have to have seen Jesus risen walking on earth back in the day. That's why we don't have any apostles today, right? So he's saying... I'm an apostle. There it is. And then third, you see there, it's an issue of legacy. The proof, Paul is saying, the proof is my impact, 
not my income. The proof is my impact, not my income. He's saying he's a missionary, not a mercenary. See, mercenaries care a lot about income. Missionaries care about impact. And it's weird because Paul's saying, listen, the only way you, the church in Corinth, exist is because I'm an apostle. Like maybe other people can doubt me, but you can't. Okay, moms, think about this. Think about if one of the kids to whom you gave birth starts doubting if you're a mom. Stop it, you little brat. I gave you life, right? Like, like other kids can doubt that. You can't. You came out of my... No, don't do that, okay? Don't, like you'll traumatize the kid and the kid will be in counseling. Don't say that. But the point is, like you're saying, I gave you life. How can you doubt? Paul's saying, listen, church, I gave birth to you. How can you doubt my apostleship? Others can. You can't. That's what he's saying. All right, so what's going on then is the slinkies are doubting their founding pastor. God, they're dissing him. They're questioning his authority. They're a dumpster fire. But you notice something. A lot of it has to do with money. It has to do with money. So Paul now needs to respond to this problem, but not overreact. In responding, he's got to uh, explain why he, yes, he conducted his ministry in a certain way and why he did that, but if he overreacts, what he's going to do is undercut the ability for any pastor ever to be paid. And he significantly doesn't want to do that. So he's got to thread the needle. And what you'll see off the bat is he's really going to lay it on heavy and thick for the right of a pastor to be paid. So now we're into 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 3 and following. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? That's, that's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Then he, then he goes on. He says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? If others share in this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That was a mouthful. Paul backed up the truck, right? And he laid it on thick to make a strong case for pastors earning their living from the gospel. What he did is he gave six reasons. I don't want to dwell on them, but I'm going to try to just scoot right through them, okay? You'll see them in the passages as we go back through it here. 
The first point he makes is from cultural custom. He talks about the soldier, the farmer, and the shepherd. Now, all three of those earned their living from the work they did, but they were different. The soldier was an employee who got wages. The farmer was an owner of the farm. The shepherd, shepherds were usually slaves. But Paul says, look, in all three cases, in our cultural custom, they, they are able to eat because of what they do. And so he's saying, so shouldn't pastors? Okay, that's, that's the first thing. Now he goes on and says, okay, wait a minute, but we don't always just take our cues from the culture, right? So what's the scripture say about this? So if you look in the next part, he goes to the Old Testament the scripture at the time. And he looks at Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, about the ox. But we learn that it's really not about an ox, is it? It's about Christian workers. Now, what they did back in that time is in order, you got to separate the, the grain kernel from the husk around it. So they throw it on the floor, they put a stake, they tie an ox to it, and the ox would walk in a circle, crushing it, basically separating it out. Okay? Now, the ox, while it's doing that, would sometimes go down and get, grab a mouthful. So the ox would be fed while it threshes the grain. That's what he's saying. What happens if you muzzle the ox? Good news. You get more grain out of it for like once or twice, and then your ox dies. Bad plan, farmer. So the good farmer knows you feed the livestock that feed you. And Paul's saying, listen, if you'll do that for your livestock, doesn't the word of God say that you should do that for your, the people who feed you spiritually? It's Old Testament command. Now, uh, another point, a third point that's made, and you'll see it in here, is one of mutual blessing, a symbiotic relationship. If we bless you spiritually, can we not be blessed by you materially? Another point he makes. A fourth point he makes, you'll see it in the last sentence there, it's early church precedent. He says, hey, others are in the church are paid. He acknowledges that. And that was true. So once Paul moved on, others like Peter and Apollos came in and evidently they were supported by the church in Corinth, but not Paul. And that's what caused them to start to look down on Paul. And Paul's like, listen, this is a very common practice in church planting. Paul is a church planter and there was no church to support him. And he like planted the church, but then he moved on to plant other churches. But listen, when you do church planting, up front, there's a lot of free labor. But once the church is established, once it has the ability to start to pay its staff, then it starts to do just that. So as it grew, the congregants then started to give faithfully and pay their pastors. Fifth reason he gives is in the next section here. He goes to an Old Testament example. So now not a scripture, but an example of the priesthood. That the priests would, you'd sacrifice part of the animal in worship to God. The rest of the meat would go to the priest. They would live on that. So the priest didn't have to work a job and then do the priesthood on the side, but they were paid through the priesthood. He's like, yeah, it's kind of like that. And then sixth and last, he says in there, in the same way the Lord commanded. Wait, Time out, what? When, when did Jesus speak on that? Uh, scholars would take us immediately to Luke chapter 10. And here's what it says there. Remember, this is when Jesus sent out the 72. Sends them out two by two to go do ministry for his sake in these towns. He says, don't take money with you. Instead, look at that. He said, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. 
I told you he'd back up the truck. He made a strong, strong case. Now, some quick thoughts here, because I don't want to get too bogged down in this. Uh, Number one, evidently, earning doesn't necessarily make you a mercenary. You might be a minister. Okay? Number two, once a church is established, if it can support its staff, it should. And then number three, give where you're fed. Give where you're fed. That, that's in the passage. So it, like if you're listening online and you go to another church, I want you to give where you're fed. Give where you're fed. Now, that brings up questions like, how much should I give? And is it gross or not? And all kinds of wonderful questions we get as pastors. Uh, I, I don't, that's outside the scope of this sermon. Go on our website. In the upper right, there's a button that says give. Click on that. It'll take you to a giving page. I'm not saying you get, go to the bottom of that page. There's seven videos I did to answer various questions. And I want you to, that's homework this week. Go listen to those if you haven't before. You'll laugh because I look weird because I have glasses and no beard. I'm telling you, I just looked at them yesterday. I look weird, but there it is. Have fun with it. Now, here's the thing. All of that, all of that was just one very, very big setup for Paul to deliver a punchline. He just did a ton of work to solidly and clearly establish a right so that he could say, pass. He strongly, strongly built a right so that he could strongly forego it. Because he's a missionary, not a mercenary. And mercenaries demand rights. Missionaries lay rights down. And that's what Paul is going to do. He's going to go a different direction. And here it is. Let's look at verses 12 and 15. Nevertheless. See the word of contrast? Okay, I built the right. Nevertheless. We have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Then in verse 15, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Now listen, we're we're in chapter 9. You know what chapter 9 comes after? If you just said chapter 8, you're my people. And I love you so much. (laughs) That's my people right there. Okay, yes, chapter 8. But what was in chapter 8? That was last week's sermon. Pastor Jared, such a great pastor. That was an awesome sermon. If you remember, it was about meat sacrifice to idols. And the point is, you absolutely have the right to eat that meat. And at times, you might forego that right out of love and blessing others. That's what it was about. Then Paul goes, okay, having written that, again, Holy Spirit is inspiring him, carrying him along. He's like, now, let me give an example from my own life of laying down right. In fact, I have the right to earn, and yet I say pass. That's what this is about. He has a right to earn a living from the gospel, and he doesn't use it. So he's making sure the right is crystal clear for use in the church for millennia to come. And yet, at the same time, he's foregoing it. He wants to know, uh, wants us to know that, like, yes, once a church can afford to support its staff, it should. And yet, Paul was in a church planting situation. 
If he had demanded pay up front, it would have put a barrier in front of the gospel. And so Paul says, no way. That would hurt the mission. Mercenaries don't care. Mercenaries demand being paid. Missionaries lay down the rights. And so you see, this passage is not primarily about money. This passage is about motivation. Are you a mercenary or are you a missionary? So Paul will strongly defend a right that he will strongly refuse to use. Wonderfully boasting that he is a missionary, not a mercenary. Now, there's a clear goal you'll you'll see in here, and the goal is the advance of the gospel. Paul's one question is this, what can I do with my life to most propel the gospel? If that's working full-time for a church, then do it. If it's working part-time for a church, then do it. If it's not getting pay from a church, but I'm going to work a job in my field and whatever, that's how I'll support my family, and then I will leverage my life for the gospel, then do it. But the idea is that all of us should assume we are missionaries, and the one question is, not my rights, not my dreams, not my desires, it's what will most benefit the gospel mission. That's the goal. And in the midst of it, there's one clear motivation, and it's love. Now, this part gets interesting. The pastor should be very concerned with loving and taking care of the congregation. And then the congregation should be very concerned with loving and taking care of the church staff. Okay? But it often doesn't go down like that. We get it so jacked up. So many pastors are consumed with fortune and fame. Did you just hear mercenary or missionary? That's mercenary, right? Okay, and and, and so they're looking to be a big deal and to be preachers and sneakers, right? But don't miss this. A lot of congregations return the favor. And they are looking to use the pastor up, to muzzle the ox, to wring him dry, to get as much, to consume him. And so they want to minimize his salary and try to force a quasi-vow of poverty upon him. Why? What's the result? Then we, the congregation, don't have to give as much. See, it's still about money. It's about using someone. At the, and so there's no motive of love that is mercenary. And you thought the only potential mercenary on the scene was the pastor. No. It's all of us. All of us Christians. Both sides have the tendency to use the other. And the motive is money, not love. That's a tragedy. Because as we see, it's not supposed to be about money. It's about the goal of the gospel mission. It's about a, a motive of love, at least At least if we're missionaries, not mercenaries. Now, before applying this, I want to take a brief aside here for a moment and echo something that Paul wrote in verse 15. If you see it there, he says, he's not writing these things to secure any provision. And I want you to hear clearly from right now, I'm not preaching these things to secure money from you. The reason I'm preaching this today is because it's the next passage in 1 Corinthians. (laughs) 
That's my job. It's the next passage, right? That's why we're here. But I also want you to know this. Our church congregation very kindly and very faithfully takes care of our church staff. Thank you. Uh, we, we have great staff here. I'm not talking about myself. We've got, I think, around 20 staff, full-time, part-time, whatever. But uh, we've got a great staff team, and I love them. They love Jesus. They love you. They work hard. They're gifted. We've got great staff, and we don't want them to leave. If we underpay them, we incentivize them to go elsewhere. We're saying, please leave. So we don't want to underpay them. We swing the pendulum. If we overpay them, then we make them into mercenaries. And it's poor stewardship of church resources. Because we could do more kingdom work. No, we can't. We overpay too many people. All right, so how, how do we thread the needle so that we don't overpay or underpay? Well, what we do is we do research. <laughs> we, do, we work really hard. Uh, Ashley Ange does most of the work on this. Well, we work really hard to uh, figure out so that we can pay our staff what is fair, what is average for them, meaning uh, based on our church size, the role they serve on our team, their years of experience, their longevity with our church, and then also one thing that weighs in, weighs in is geographical adjustment for Northeast Ohio. Sounds boring, right? Yeah, it's a lot of research, it's a lot of work. But we do that so that we make sure we don't overpay and we don't underpay, that we thread the needles. All that is done, by the way, under the oversight of elders who are non-staff, representing you all. So, the reason I give you this aside, two reasons. One, sometimes I think it's interesting to get a peek behind the curtain of how the church is run, because it's your church. Uh, but at the same time, I want to really emphasize verse 15 there that I'm not preaching this to secure any provision. You guys, as represented by the elders, take great care of us. And I just want you to hear on my behalf, on my staff team's behalf, thank you. Thank you very much for being that kind of church. Grateful. Well, if it's not about that, what is this about? Like, how can we go about applying this? Because after all, like most of you don't work for a church. So did we just waste a Sunday morning? Hopefully no. So here's some thoughts. Number one, I want you to follow Paul's example. Now what you see up there is stuff we've already covered. I just want to reiterate it. I want you to be free from others' opinion. I want you to live free. Live for an audience of one. Only God's opinion matters. Secondly, I want you to encounter Jesus. You're not an apostle. You won't see Jesus walking, risen bodily on the earth. I get that. But I want you to run to him. That's all that matters. Encounter him. Let him change your life. Thirdly, I want you to leave a gospel legacy. This is not just for pastors. This is for Christians. I want you to think, are you living for income or impact? Those are different. And so would you sacrifice? Would you lay down your rights? Would you have a goal of what propels the gospel most? Would you center your life as a Christian around that? And with a motivation of love. All Christians, I want us to follow Paul's example. And then secondly, one of the things I think we can get out of this is how do we then judge uh, pastors, ministers, missionaries? Uh, my fear is that we are jacked up. We are too much like the Corinthians in how we judge these things. Like we still respect mercenaries who make bank. And we fawn over very articulate orators. 
called Celebrity Pastors. And uh, when they come out with $1,000 sneakers and they got mansions and jets and uh, there's one guy, every time he comes out on stage, it looks like he's got his barber backstage during the worship. His hair's perfect every time. Um, and they're silver tongue. Like, uh, they, uh, they have the ability to gin up the crowd, like just rile them up. You think you're at a high school pep rally. But the problem is, they're naked. Meaning the emperor has no clothes. Like, there's no Bible. A very thin Bible. Like, there's not a lot of good preaching coming out of that. And yet, we love them. And we post about them on social media. They're our mercenaries, and we love them. Oh my goodness, we're Corinth. Man. Now, on the other hand, contrast that with, how do we feel about bivocational pastors? These are tent makers. These are guys that the church doesn't support them. They have to work another job full time to earn, and then they're planting a church on the side. And some of us, like we, we tend to judge them. Like, like if the guy was really good, I mean, really, come on. If the guy were good, wouldn't the church support him? Wouldn't he be able to earn a living doing that? So he just must not be very good. And as soon as we go there, then we have leaned into the principle that the more the pastor makes, the better he is. And so when that pastor is flying around in a private jet, we must applaud him. Good job, buddy, because you're obviously killing it. But we don't want to be those people, do we? That's not the standard for Paul. Paul said he would rather die than be that guy. What does he boast in? Look up under number one. Follows his, his example. He's free. He's encountered Jesus. He's leaving a legacy. That's who he is. And listen, about those bivocational pastors, man, some of them are working for a church in the inner city. There's not a lot of money. And so that's why the church doesn't have the ability to support him. And so he works doubly hard. Or some of them are planning new churches. So there's no, like Paul, there's no church to support him yet. But don't miss this. Some of those pastors walk with Jesus more than I do. Some of them will leave a greater legacy than I ever will. Some of them are sacrificing more than me. Some of them are more the apple of Jesus' eye than I am. Some of them are better pastors than me. But then, you know, we say, well, yeah, but he's not paid full time. So he must not be very good. Corinth, Corinth. So let's not be like that. That's number two. Third and last, how can we apply this? The question is, are you a mercenary or a missionary? Which one is it? Are you looking out of life for income or are you looking for impact? Are you on mission with God? Are you saying, what can I do with my life to most have impact for the kingdom, the gospel, to propel the gospel? Or are you an American dream Mercenary. Uh Uh-oh. See, whether you're a pastor or not, every Christian needs to wrestle with this. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you ought to be asking, how can I do the most damage for the gospel with my life? If it's full-time working for a church, do it. If it's part-time working for a church, do it. If it's a tent maker, do it. But the goal is the gospel. And every Christian ought to be a missionary in their mind. And every church ought to be a mission outpost. And what that brought to mind, I think I showed you this once before. I found this online. It's not mine. 
But the consumer church says this. Church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs, and to have the professionals teach their children about God. And the idea at the bottom there is, I go to church. And that's not who we want to be. If you look on the right, here's mission, missional church. It's a body of people sent on mission who gather in community for worship, community encouragement, and teaching from the word in addition to what they are self-feeding themselves throughout the week. And the idea there is, I am the church. I don't go to church. I am the church. And we're on mission for the gospel. And I know which side I want us to fall on. And I'm going to guess that the Holy Spirit might be poking or prodding some of you right now based on that. But here's where I want to land. I want to land by talking about Jesus. Because understand this, we follow a missionary Lord. Jesus Christ, God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's in heaven. Like things are pretty good. And then we got a messed up, broken world down here. And he left there to come here as a missionary. And he took on human flesh. And he would eventually die for us. But make no mistake, like no one took his life from him. He, he didn't have to give up his life. He chose to. He even said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Do you remember the story when they came to arrest him in the Garden of, of Gethsemane? When they came, Jesus kind of tongue-in-cheek said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus. In his response, I am. Now, in your translations, it'll probably say, I am he. But in the Greek, it is simply, I am. That means Yahweh. That's the name of God. And when spoken from the lips of Jesus, do you remember what happened? It took all those soldiers and blew them back into the ground. You think anybody took his life? No. But he's a missionary. So he laid down his rights and he said, you can kill me. When we lay down our rights, we are walking in the footsteps of our missionary Lord. And make no mistake about this. Here's a big if, ready? If you live on earth, give you a second to think on that one, right? If you live on earth, you live in Jesus' mission field. It's not just overseas. It's your neighborhood. It's where you work. It's your extended family. It's the club you work out in. It's whatever activities you go, the rooms that you visit for recovery. That's your mission field. So, are we going to be missionary or mercenary? Let me pray for that. Father in heaven, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest missionary ever who came for us. And Lord, I mean, I know we get so distracted by being mercenaries in our own lives, living for money, for income, not impact. And I pray, I know there's a lot of big thoughts in all this, but I pray that you would start to massage minds and hearts right now, that we would apply this, that we would be on mission for you, that we would be all about your gospel impact, not about income. 
Oh, Lord God, please, would Redemption Chapel not be filled with mercenaries in the pews or the pulpit? I don't care. We would not be mercenaries, that we would all be missionaries for you. Take us there, Lord, please. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.